Everybody, it's so good to be here with you today. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden Church, and we're all about helping people take a next step with Jesus. I want to welcome you if you are joining us online, and I want to give you a special invitation. If you are watching online and you are in the area, I want to invite you to come and be a part of the baptisms after service. We'll start right around 11 o'clock, but it's going to be an awesome time, and you can stay outside, stay safely, socially distanced, and be a part of it, and it's going to be great. If you're outside, uh, We're praying for you because the air quality is not as good as uh, it normally is, but I think it was better than it was yesterday. So that's a blessing. And if you're in the house this morning, we love you. Uh, We got love for you. Today, we are wrapping up a series that we started a few weeks ago called Future Church. And over the last four weeks, we have been attempting to answer the question, what must be true about the church of the future for us to be faithful to the vision? What must be true about the church of the future for us to be faithful to the vision? And, uh, and you may have noticed over the last few weeks as we've tried to answer this question, we have been looking back to the early church to gain clarity about the future church. And so week one, we talked about how Jesus excuse me, was casting vision for a new type of faith. And he said, you don't have to go to the temple to experience God's presence And instead, God's presence is going to be with you, and the hope is that you would take his presence into the world. And so we started using the phrase, we don't go to church, we are the church, right? We don't go to church, but it's about living that lifestyle of faith in our relationships, in our parenting, in our uh, our work relationships, in our friendships. It's about taking God's presence into the world. We don't go to church, we are the church. And then in week two, we reminded ourselves that we're not alone. We saw that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower his, the believers so that they could fulfill the mission and the vision that he had cast for them, so that they could do what they were not capable of doing on their own. He empowered the church. And what's interesting is that as a community of believers, if we do not choose to become an empowered church, we will become a burned-out church because we will try to do things that we were never meant to do in our own strength. And if we don't become a burned out church, then we'll just be an ineffective church because we are not capable of doing only what God can do in this world. And so it makes sense for us to embrace the reality that God always intended for us to be an empowered church. And then last week we we were reminded that we are better together. We are better together. So much of the history of the church has been a history of division. But it's when we focus on what we are united around more than we focus what we're divided on that we really see the church become all that God intended for us to be. That's where we become unstoppable. And today, we're going to talk about becoming a lit church. Now, I'm just kidding. I don't even know what that means. I didn't even take the time to look it up. So what I'm trying to say is that God has called us to be the light, okay? We're going to be that kind of lit church. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And in a sense, what Jesus was saying is that you are going to be set apart. You are going to be different. And part of why Jesus wanted his people to be different is because he knew that if you were going to make a difference, you had to be different. And he said, you're going to be a light in a dark world, and I don't know about you, but I feel like our world needs a little bit more light. And I'm not trying to say anything negative about culture or people or whatever, but I just get the sense as I look at the news and I read on social media that we are living in a dark time. Every time my heart is broken 
Every time I, I read, check up on what's happening in Af- Afghanistan, my heart is breaking. I feel, I feel burdened. Just the other day, we heard that 13 troops were killed and hundreds, over 100 Afghans were killed in a suicide bombing. That's heartbreaking. I have a friend of mine who's a missionary and is connected to a bunch of pastors out there, and he said two days ago that in the last 24 hours, 36 pastors have been killed. So we're living in a dark world, in some dark times. And it's not just dark when we look out into what is happening in the world, but all of us are probably facing some challenging circumstances in our life in some way or another. We have a family member that's struggling or a friend that's struggling. And I think that it's clear to most of us that our world needs a little bit more light. And we're not talking about good thoughts. We're not talking about helpful statements, but our world needs the type of light that reveals the hope that we have in Jesus, because that is the only type of light that pushes back darkness for good. And so today, we're going to continue in the series, and every week we've been in the book of Acts, and so we're going to jump into the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, and uh, it was written by a guy named Luke, who was a historian. He also wrote uh, a mini-biography of Jesus' life that we refer to as the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts is the sequel to the mini biography, and it's the origin story of the early church. He details all the activities. That's why it's called the book of Acts, the activity of the apostles. And in this book so far, we've seen that Jesus has cast vision about what it was going to take for the early church to have a spiritual influence over its culture. And then he supernaturally empowers this church with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission. And then He says, go figure it out. When I graduated from college, I wasn't exactly sure what my next steps in life were going to be. And so like any mature, thoughtful, individual, young college graduate, I decided to move to Africa. And uh, and it was an interesting, interesting season in Africa. I worked with a humanitarian aid organization slash missions organization, and uh, we were serving in South Africa among the Zulus. And uh, at the time, the Zulus had the highest rate of HIV-AIDS infection in the world in the rural populations. And so we would go out into the rural areas, and we would teach about HIV-AIDS prevention stuff, education. And then during the day, uh, when we weren't doing that, we would help to start Bible studies. And I remember we landed in South Africa. We met with our supervisors. They did a very brief orientation. They took us out to dinner. And then we went to church. And then they said, Good luck. Figure it out. They didn't show up the next day. In fact, they, we barely reached out to them. We emailed them a few times. We were in contact, but they weren't holding our hands. We did not have a schedule to follow. They told us to figure it out. And I remember when my partner and I came to the realization that no one was going to help us do what they've asked us to do, we kind of looked at each other, and we were lost for a little bit. Now, eventually, we figured it out. But I imagine that there was probably a moment in the apostles' life where they had been empowered, Jesus was gone, and now they were left to figure it out. But they did. And part of the reason why they figured it out is because Jesus made the process really simple. It was an easy strategy, and he had been preparing them for the last few years on how to engage the culture. But it's different, right, when your guide is gone. I don't know if anyone is like me, but when I used to do math, See, I don't even know how to say it right. I said, do math. When I was in math class, I don't know how to say it. All I knew is that when I was in class, all the math equations made sense to me when my teacher was explaining it. 
But then when I got home and I was looking at the book, I, I, my, it was just a temptation not to turn to the back of the book and, figure, and just look to the answers. I couldn't figure it out. And that's kind of what it probably felt like for the apostles. They had been given this vision up until then. They had been directed and guided by someone who knew what they were doing, and they were left to figure it out. And this is what Jesus told them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. Jesus called us to be the light of the world, and now he's telling us how. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. You guys have probably watched some kind of court case drama show, or I don't know what you watch, but you probably know the difference between an attorney and a witness, right? An attorney is someone who's collecting a bunch of evidence, and the hope is that they're going to bring this evidence together to help people, to convince them to come to the same conclusion about what they think happened in a particular event. But a witness does not bear that level of responsibility. A witness is just in the courtroom to testify about what they saw, what they heard, what they, what they felt, what they experienced, right? The witnesses are the only people in the entire room who experience what everyone else is trying to understand happened. And Jesus is saying all he was asking them to do was to be a witness for him to the world. And when we look at the New Testament, that was Jesus' entire branding strategy, right? Customer satisfaction, five-star Yelp reviews, that's it. He was banking on everything. And, and for us, that may not seem like a great strategy, but for Jesus, it was awesome because he was banking on the fact that people had life-changing experiences when they encountered him. And if you've ever been to a restaurant that completely blew your mind, what did you do the next day? You were telling all your friends about it, right? You posted on Instagram. When you saw a movie that landed with you, you were telling all your friends to go and watch that movie. When you saw a YouTube video that changed your habits, you were sending it out to all your friends, right? When something changes us, we can't help but tell people about it. And Jesus knew that when people came into his presence, they always left changed. And he was banking on that, and that was true for all of the apostles. There was this one time early on after Jesus left, the apostles had been empowered where Peter and another disciple were out in the public square, and they were preaching and telling people about the good news. And then the religious leaders saw what they were doing, and they began to threaten them to stop. And this was Peter's response. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Peter says, we cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and what we have heard. I love Peter's passion. Because this would have been a really scary moment because the same religious leaders that were confronting Peter that day are the same religious leaders that put Jesus up on the cross a few months earlier. And Peter couldn't help but share about everything that he had saw, he'd seen, and he had heard. And Peter was doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, Wherever you go into the world, tell everyone the good news. Wherever you go into the world, tell everyone the good news. And this is the good news. That God loved us so much that he would send a savior into the world to undo all the brokenness that we see, not just around the world, but in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. And when you have experienced 
God's forgiveness, when you have experienced God's grace, when you have experienced God's mercy in your life firsthand, not somebody telling you about it, but you have literally seen God work in your life, it is hard for you not to tell other people about what this type of love has done for you. And so Jesus has called all of those who have identified themselves as followers of Jesus to be witnesses of what God has done in our lives to give testimony, to give a review of his goodness. But I think that there's probably a hesitancy, right, for some of us. I'm supposed to give a witness to people in this culture, in Silicon Valley, in this area, right? Some of us have convinced ourselves that people don't want to hear about the good news. We think the church sounds so relevant The Bible seems a little bit archaic. You can get probably most of the gospel message from the self-help section of Barnes & Noble. Right? How many of us have ever felt like, why would we share what is happening here out there? And if I can be honest, which I do from time to time, I'm trying to be honest. My wife hates when I say that. I'm always honest. But I felt that way before, right? They don't want what I've got. But I was reminded recently that everybody that I meet, whether it's in my neighborhood, whether it's my kid's class, or whether it's at work, every person I meet has the same basic desires that I do. Every person that you come into contact with has the same basic longings that you do. Everyone wants to live a life of purpose and meaning and significance. And we did not stop become become human when we stepped into faith. And that means that when we are in faith, we are still dealing with a lot of the same struggles that other people are dealing with. We're dealing with a lot of the same circumstances that other people are dealing with. And this is why you can type in almost any question you think of into Google, and what will you get? You will get hundreds and thousands of responses answering the same question that you're asking. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity in the human heart. That is what we call the God-shaped hole. And that is why people never fill it with sex or with status or with their salary. They never experience the good life that way because the good life is not about possessions, it's not about position, and it is not about power. The good life... The good life is all about experiencing God's presence. And what I have learned is that if you get to know someone long enough, if you get to asking the right questions, they will reveal to you the deepest longings in their heart. And you will see where the gap is. And this is what we can bank on. Is that if God filled in a gap for you, he can fill in a gap for them. If God's grace was sufficient for you, his grace will be sufficient for them. If his mercy took away the burden in your life, then mercy can take away the burden in their life. If Jesus served to be a bridge for you, he can serve to be a bridge for somebody else. We can bank on that. Because every single one of us has the same longing for purpose and significance and meaning in this life. And all Jesus has ever asked any of us to do is to tell other people where we found it. Someone once said that we're just a bunch of nobodies, 
telling everybody about somebody. We're just a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about some, somebody. But this is what I've also learned, right? Sometimes the message can be ineffective, not because of the content of the message, but because of the messenger, right? That's you and me. We're not just called to be the light, but we're also called to live out that hope. 1 Peter 2.12 says, live good lives that they see the good things in you and they will honor God and will believe you. If we talk the talk, we've got to walk the walk, right? It is not about being perfect, but it is about having credibility. And you know this in any other area of your life. If you want to have credibility, your words have to align with your actions, your words have to align with your actions, and when they do, you become credible because this is what we have to know. Before they want to know if Jesus is real, they want to know if you're real. Before they want to know if faith works, they want to know if it's worked in your life. And if they like what they see, they will listen to what you say. And the way that I think in our culture and in this day and age, the way that we gain credibility is through hospitality. So much of our influence in other people's life have to do with hospitality. Are we the type of people that make others feel welcomed and wanted? Are you the type of person that makes someone feel welcomed and wanted? What I realized a few years ago, I started paying attention to the way that I felt after I interacted with people. And it's crazy. It almost has little to do with what they say, but there's something about the presence that you have when you engaged with people. And what I found myself gravitating towards was people who made me feel welcomed and wanted, people who valued me. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says, practice hospitality. And this is why it's so important. Hospitality is far more effective than having all the right answers to all the hard questions. Sometimes, as we think about being a witness, we think that we have to know all the answers. We have to have gone to church for a bunch of years. We have to have experienced a bunch of spiritual moments in our life to really be effective. But actually, that's not really what's effective. People are not impressed with your answers. People are inspired by your story. People want to know, how has this changed you? And what I'm realizing in our day and age, our personal testimony is becoming more and more valuable than it has ever been. How many of you have ever been thinking about going to a restaurant and you read a Yelp review and it says it was a five-star experience and then you get there and it was a negative five-star experience, right? You can't trust Yelp because you don't know the people on Yelp. They don't have the same taste buds that you do. You have no, they have no credibility in your life. Or what about Amazon? If you work at Amazon, God bless you, this is not an attack on you. I'm just talking about the user experience, okay? How many times do you see these fake reviews on Amazon about a product that's supposed to be the best and it's the worst? And you buy it and you have to take it back, okay? But you know what, if Sopa and Tommy, they tell me where to eat, I'm gonna go eat there because I know they know good food. If Alvin Marquez tells me he knows a good place to eat at, I'm gonna go eat there because they know where the good food is, right? There's a credibility and there's a power in our witness in our personal story. There was one time in John chapter 9, verse 25, where this man is being questioned about his faith. And he says, I don't know whether he is a sinner. Speaking of Jesus, the man replied, but all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. 
He couldn't answer all the challenging theological questions about Jesus' divinity. All he knew is that he was blind and now he can see. And you do not need to know the Old Testament, New Testament inside out to have an effect and an influence on people spiritually because your story is powerful. And I wonder if we tried to leverage that in our life. If we really took that challenge, that vision that God gave to all of us, he said, we're the light. But how do we become a light in our world? How do we become witnesses? I think that our least leveraged opportunity to be a witness in this world is small talk. Okay, now I know some of you hate small talk. I found out recently that not every culture does small talk. Uh, a friend of ours was sharing with us that in certain cultures, if you don't know someone, you don't talk to them. I, I kind of like that. But, but, but there is an opportunity, right? There's an opportunity in small talk. Because being a witness is much more of a sentence than it is a paragraph. Sometimes people think you have to give a diatribe of your faith experience to share with anyone what ha is happening in you. But what if this is what our conversation looked like over the next few weeks? Hey, Mike, how you doing? You know what, man? I started going to a church recently, and that has never been a part of my story, and it's been a positive experience for me. Period. You don't have to say anything else after that. Because all you're doing is you are giving testimony to what God is doing in your life. And I promise you, it is powerful. Jane, how are you doing? You know what? I'm going through a tough season of life, but for some reason, my faith is holding me up period. You don't have to say anything else. And this is the crazy thing. I promise you what happens in the next few weeks will start to blow your mind because people will start being open to you about the spiritual life that they're trying to process and they don't have anyone who's willing to talk to them about their faith. And people will start coming to you with questions. And if they don't, you didn't offend them anyways because you're not trying to proselyze or push anything on them. You're just sharing what God is doing in your life. Your story is the most powerful tool we have to be a witness and a light into this world. My friend Ryan Otto recently moved to Austin. Some of you guys know Ryan. We baptized him about a month or so ago. Well, Ryan has an amazing story, and he was sharing with me his story about being in Narcotics Anonymous. And he showed up into Narcotics Anonymous completely destroyed, completely worn out and believing that there was no way that he could ever get clean in his life. And he walked into that room with a bunch of other people who had a very similar story. They were on the same journey that he was, but they were just a little bit further ahead. And I remember him telling me that when he sat in the meeting in that room, he kind of felt like it was a waste of time, but there was a girl that was attached to why he was doing what he was doing, and so he thought, well, we'll do it, you know, go through the process. But as the people begin to share their story, he couldn't understand it because he had never experienced it, but their story of what was possible inspired him to believe that if it was true for them, it could be true for him. If somehow a person who was addicted to drugs to the level that I am somehow became unaddicted, became, uh, started stepping into the process of healing, 
then maybe it's possible for me too. And then one story after another, after another helped him to believe that he could step into sobriety. And he has been sober for years and years and years. But do you know how it happened? Is because people were willing to share their story, their experience. And I'm telling you that that will change the world. If we could be open with others on the outside to what God is doing in us on the inside. This morning, I know that there are probably some of you in the room today that have felt so distant from God. Your heart doesn't feel like it could be a light. It feels like only darkness. And that may be because of personal relationships that you have that seem to be defaulting. Or maybe it's your life situation. Or maybe you're just like the rest of us that is just longing to understand what is my purpose? Why am I here? What is my significance in this world? Because for all of us, we've had to ask that question in the last 18 months. We've all had to kind of reframe the foundation to understand what are we actually doing in this world? And if that's you this morning, this church is a representation of a bunch of people who said, I've been there before. And I know you may not think it's possible to feel like you have significance when you wake up in the morning, but I'm telling you, through Jesus, it is possible. No matter if you've accomplished everything you thought would make you significant or make you feel significant in this world, we've all felt that gaping God hole in our heart. And it has only been filled when we have trusted that there is a God that has loved us enough to send his son to carry all the weight of the shame and the guilt that we have built up over this life. And he has taken that from us. And he has given us peace that comes from no other source except for the source of Jesus. And this morning, I wanna encourage you, if you have never stepped into faith, if you've never experienced that type of love, you can do it today. And the Bible doesn't require anything of you. It wants nothing but good for you. All it asks, all it instructs us is to open up our hearts to receive the gift of salvation. And I know that for so many of us, walking into this room was a big step, but the next big step is to say, I'm not gonna close my heart to God anymore because I've done that for too long and it hasn't amounted to much. But this morning, I wanna open up my heart. I wanna experience that type of love. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer. And if you repeat after me in your heart, uh, there's nothing special about the words. It's just whether or not these are a reflection of what is really happening on the inside. And so this morning, no matter where you are, if you're tuning in online, if you're outside in the tent or you're in the room this morning, I'm gonna ask everyone to bow your head and to close your eyes. And if this morning you wanna step into faith for the first time, I'm gonna just ask you, repeat these words after me in your heart if they reflect where you're at. Dear God, I wanna thank you for loving me even when I didn't love you. I want to thank you for pursuing me 
despite all the selfish decisions that I've made in my life. I want to thank you for holding me in those moments when I could not stand up myself. Today, God, I want to receive the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, by surrendering my will and receiving the vision that you have for my life, believing that you can do more with my heart and with my mind than I can. Today, I want to step into my purpose and experience the hope of salvation. In Jesus' name, I believe. I want to keep, ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. If you prayed that prayer in your heart today, I want to ask you to simply raise your hand and let us know that God is working in this place. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. God, we're so grateful that you have given us this word that, God, no matter the generation, no matter the culture, no matter the time, Father, it is relevant to our lives because it doesn't speak to, to the fads of a generation, but it speaks to the condition of the human heart. God, you know what we need. Your word speaks into every area of our life. God, I pray that you would allow for us to keep stepping into it. And we ask that, God, you would use this community in all of their relationships to be a light in a world that seems so dark. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, can you do me a favor this morning? There were several people that stepped into faith for the very first time. Can we show them some love?